Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I have a really fun guest with me again today. I have Sam here who was on a podcast a bunch of months ago with uh, another student, Angelia. The three of us did a podcast, so you can go check that out if you want to hear more about Sam's adventures as a midwifery student. But we're here today together, just she and I, to talk about birth bags. I asked Sam this week if she would help make me a list of things to order from a birth store. That's a thing. That's a thing midwives do. Uh, order a bunch of stuff that's needed. And since my birth bag is far away, like 4,000 miles away, I'm putting together a new one. And I was so curious what she would put in it and also just really wanted her help. So instead of talking back and forth through text about this birth supply list, I thought we'd just talk about it together because I really wanted Sam to share Uh, more about what she put on the list and why, and maybe I'll have some ideas of things she didn't include. I honestly don't know. I haven't seen the list yet. So we're just going to run with this, see where it goes. And for all the birth nerds out there, it'll probably be a really fun chat. So welcome again, Sam. So nice to chat with you. Hello. I'm glad to be back. And it's so exciting to talk about all the birthy things. And I feel like I could ask probably a hundred different questions about each individual item and why, and, you know, really lean into what the intention is with carrying that. And just so many topics come to mind. So I'm sure it'll be so fun to chat about. I love that about you. I love that you are so intentional. I think a lot of students wouldn't speak that way, even about simple supplies, but I know that you always are having those thoughts, the deeper ones about why and when and how. Uh, So let's get started. Um, I don't know if you want to send me the list over on my phone or if you just want to read through it, what would feel Um, easier or better for you? uh, Let me send it to you that way you have it. And I can talk through the first couple ones because, um, you know, it's kind of nice to start simple, but I feel like you're the perfect person to, to go through it with. Cause I feel like you can just unravel each piece with me and kind of like think through the why. Um, yeah, I know that there will be lots of cool topics that came up and, and we don't have to like talk about this too long, but one thing I did want to say initially before we even get started is that, you know, as someone that attends births, uh, I'm, I don't know that I'm a mid, I'm calling myself a midwife these days, but even as a, you know, spiritual birth guide with midwifery skills, um, I have my own thoughts, you know, as do you, as do other birth attendants and midwives out there. So just being clear that I think this entire discussion, there are a lot of similarities from person to person. Um, there's a lot of, like you said, unraveling, maybe what we were taught, like, do we even know why we're carrying X, Y, or Z? And then I think we all just have our own boundaries. So, you know, to carry whatever 
is not bad or good. It's more like the intention behind it and probably the experience we have and maybe even the clientele we work with and, you know, how we might use it. So this isn't a one size fits all list. Everybody has to really think through what they need and want. And again, I don't think there's a bad or good or a right way or a better list, but this is going to be our list today. Yeah. And I've definitely changed how I see some of the things, the more I've like been to some births and seen how they're used and when they are. And, you know, we've been to births where we've never taken a single thing out of the bag. And that's like really awesome too. So it's like when you're coming from this place of deciding what you want to bring to a birth, I feel like there's just so many things to consider about like, what are you bringing yourself to the birth, like just in your energy and how you think about the stuff. But then, um, mm, you know, I love the, that. everything, like I love all that. of it, you know, yeah, like let, yeah. you want to know what people are bringing to your birth, <laughs> like on a deep level, like what kind of baggage do they have? Like, you know, are they carrying tons of medication, which is not bad or wrong, but like, you would want to know if they're carrying, you know, things and what they mean to them in a way. And in yourself, like, I want to know why I'm doing something like not just like, just in case I have this thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, I bet we get to that. And I love that you brought it up the like, just in case, you know, the, the energy is possibly of fear that we might bring in by carrying something, but yet, you know, does that mean we really don't want to have it? And I love what you said too, about what we bring personally. And I wonder if we'll have time to go into that, right? Even the energy with which we pack a bag or, or what it's in, you know, like what is the actual bag itself? Like, is it, you know, have a light kind of like fun, nourishing energy, or is it this like clinical sort of scary looking thing? Um, I don't know. Those are all really fun things to talk about. And I don't know what I'm going to put birth supplies in yet. I haven't found a bag. I haven't really looked, but I'm excited to do that part too. Because like I said, I think that's also important because that's what people see. That's what people see you bring in from the outside. Um, So I think that is also something that should reflect what we believe and what our intentions are. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking like, if I could take a step back and just like redream all of it, since it's like not something I've done yet, I kind of envision more like openness around it and more honesty. Like, it's not that there's like, you know, there's just some things in the bag that you don't really need to get out or you, like I'm saying, maybe we didn't even use it at all at a birth, but maybe like having something that seems more outwardly open invites more conversation in around like, why we would use a certain thing or um, why we're bringing it, you know, like Mm -hmm. you could definitely, it could, or it could be fun. Like you're saying, there's all kinds of different energy that we can carry, like with this bag thing that we have the stuff in, you know? Mm, Yeah. And I think the, the amount of stuff, I think I, I slipped that in just about being a minimalist or maybe that was on our first take. We're on our second take here. Uh, But anyway, um, yeah, it, it has always felt like that was important to me. And maybe, you know, I can always rethink that too, because the women I apprenticed with, um, the one in particular, like kind of brought the whole kitchen sink and she had like multiple suitcases and like birth trays that were already made up and wrapped in cellophane. I mean, it was a high oh, wow. <laughs> intensity operation. And I always have 
not loved that energy and, and maybe, you know, have gone too far the other way at times to be like, oh, these aren't, you know, these aren't, or maybe shouldn't be like, um, heavy medical devices, right? Like I had this feeling too, that if I had to go to a birth without anything that I would, that it would be fine, you know, that it would be because that would be what was needed. Um, but you know, as a matter of course, to bring nothing ever, I don't really fall into that category. So it's always like straddling the two worlds of like, like you said, you know, we don't generally need any of it. Sometimes the bag doesn't even get open. And then in other births, you know, the bag is strewn uh, all over someone's living room, unbeknownst to them, because we've had to like pull out all the stops. So yeah, let's get, let's get into the list. Okay. The first, I tried to think sort of chronologically and like, kind of like what I would take out of the bag first if something was needed. Like <laughs> so in that's a labor. Sort of where, yeah, in a labor. Got it. You know, maybe what would be needed first if something was needed. Okay. Um, so, and then I kind of tried to walk through it with the wise woman tradition as I was thinking about it and bringing in that model of care. So like the first thing on the list is a catheter. And catheter it's not really harmful or anything and like I can sort of see the breaking and entering of it you know it's very sort of like this more western idea of just like getting the pee out but um sort of like walking it a few steps back to you know there's some holistic remedies to try to help someone to pee in labor and like you know it could actually come up that someone like can't pee um so it is nice to have that but um I love that you started with that. Like, it's kind of yeah. funny, but I see your logic. Like, it's yes. like for people out there that are like, ugh, like that's, you know, that's too interventive for a midwife. They just got a real shock by seeing you put catheter first on the list. I love it. <laughs> but when we're thinking about taking care of a woman when she's in this process, like she needs to be able to eat and drink and pee and poop. Like that is like the number one concern, like even coming in more so in the doula role. So that's where like the wise woman piece comes in to me is like um, that would be more so asking the nourishing uh, questions like, you know, what is her relationship to herself and her body? What is her relationship to her needs? And then even like a gentle, like sort of dually reminder to um, check in with that during labor, like every couple of hours, just being like, hey, um, do you want to go to the bathroom? Um, so yeah I yeah that's it. what I was thinking like each one you could just unravel so much to sort of like think about why you would go there and sort of what comes before that mm. and funny you did put that on the list because quick story the one woman I apprenticed with the first one she told me the story very early on in my apprenticeship where as a young new midwife she transported a woman that needed to be catheterized because she didn't have that skill. So her point in telling me was just what you said, you know, it's pretty easy. It's a pretty easy skill. Um, Nobody wants to necessarily be catheterized, but if that's going to happen at the hospital anyways, you know, and someone wants to stay home, then it's a really silly reason if that's the only reason to transport in. So I think it, it does make sense. And Uh, Of course, we don't love to think about it, but in the case of a postpartum hemorrhage, potentially we might also need that. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Um, and then I had peppermint essential oil and others that are desired. And that would be another way of, you know, encouraging someone to pee would be peppermint oil in the toilet or maybe getting in the shower. Um, but yeah, like trying to come from less of the like, here's the list and the midwife things, but like how, how, are, how is it in some way nourishing her? Right. Um, yeah, I see. Let's see. I'm looking at the list too. Um, so after catheter, you did have lube and sterile stuff. So yes, that is necessary, ideally, for inserting a catheter and not getting germs in there. So very good. And let's see the essential oils. I mean, again, um, not everybody is, you know, acquainted with essential oils or likes them even or is well versed in them. So if they are, I think that can be a great part of your toolkit. And in fact, I, you know, I kind of have them all of the time in my bag, not my birth bag, even just like my purse bag, my, my wallet and phone bag. So they kind of come with me no matter what. And I do love peppermint for um, sometimes helping a placenta out or getting someone to pee. And I don't know, we could do a whole podcast on essential oils, but you do have to be sort of gentle and careful with them. Not everybody loves them. And sometimes women in labor really don't like them. So always getting permission with using them in any way, shape or form is what I've learned, or else you might have a woman that really, really hates what's going on. Yeah. Are there any particulars that you like that you want to highlight there? I love to have a couple of like relaxing or sleeping essential oils uh, if a labor is long. So that might be where the catheter fits too. But if a labor is long and somebody really needs to rest and they agree to, you know, laying down and maybe getting a massage with oils, I've loved to use them in that context. So lavender, if they like that, um, you know, there's some other ones, cedarwood, spikenard, there's a whole set I would probably have. And yeah, if someone is into that and willing to rest, that can really like relax their system. But I see you have other stuff on here for that as well. Sort of down. What's next on the list? Well, I skipped ahead. I mean, we can go back, but I see that you have rescue remedy, motherwort and skull cap for relaxation and calming nerves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we were on the same page with long labors needing sleep and calm. Yeah, exactly. That was my thinking with those. So sorry, we have to backtrack. I skipped ahead a little. Yes. The next fun thing on the list is the enema, which same thing. We're just trying to make sure people can uh, go to the bathroom and that that's not impeding the labor. Right. And that I feel like has come up over the years, a handful of times. Uh, Some people think that, you know, enemas are great for kind of self-induction. You know, I don't know. It could be, it could be something that helps if someone is in that frame of mind, but like you're saying, it can just be one of the solutions with like a slower labor. uh, If the person, you know, if the woman agrees to doing that, but she can really do that herself. So you don't need to really do an enema for anybody. They can take it into the bathroom and 
take their time with that. Yeah. Um, the nitrazine paper, which I actually haven't gotten to use this yet, but I would love to have it just because it is um, nice to be able to see potentially if the waters are open. Um, okay. You know, so that's you just why you pee put on that, that paper. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And then you would be able to tell if you didn't already know. <laughs> I feel like normally we know mom Right, knows. right. Yeah. I feel like if it's in the process of labor and someone thinks the water's open, we usually, you know, usually everyone can tell. But I bet you're speaking also of when that happens before labor sometimes if someone wants to know. And so you can get the sticks. You can get like, I forget what they're called, right? Like amni sticks or something. Same thing. You can just stick the stick up <laughs> farther than you can the paper. And if it is amniotic fluid, then the nitrazine paper is going to turn blue because it's um, a very alkaline substance. And the pH paper is also great to just have in the prenatal bag, honestly, because vaginal infections um, is one thing that comes up sometimes in the prenatal time. So that's another probably more common use for pH paper, I would say, is prenatal stuff. And then gloves, of course, like this is probably the one thing if nothing's needed is um, a glove, like just for potentially like doing the placenta exam and, you know, touring it with the parents after they've had their baby. Um, but I was like, can they not make it more fun or <laughs> do something a little different here? Right. Like, I know gloves are pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's get some printed with like little placentas on them or something <laughs> oh my gosh you would totally do that it's funny well and you have it broken down for people you know that may not know right we have sterile gloves so those are in individual packages and those are used for anything internal so like cervical exams or whatever and then we have non-steriles which are you know way cheaper and are not in a sterile package, obviously. And we use those for pretty much everything else. And like you're saying, even cleaning up, you know, sometimes if things are like really messy, um, cleaning up. And yeah, otherwise, I'm not a big glove fan either, as you well know. No catching babies with gloves on, no touching babies with gloves on, no catching babies at all. Yeah. And I mean, when you look deeper, it's like, I didn't really understand the difference between latex and nitrile, but I mean, I'm sure there's, it's not the best for babies to be exposed to that stuff if they don't need to be. Yeah, I agree. Um, gloves, you know, gloves obviously kind of work two ways, right? Like they might protect us from things and then obviously protect other people, you know, especially when we're sticking our hands rarely um, in places that they don't normally go. So again, I think they are, they are necessary in the birth bag as far as I can tell, but I think being, yeah, intentional with how you use them. I mean, how many photos, right, have you seen of a newborn exam with the midwife wearing gloves? And I personally don't relate. I mean, maybe those clients want that. Maybe they don't want the midwife touching their baby. So I can't really say for anybody else, but 
as a mother, I would not want that personally. I would rather my midwife wash her hands and touch my baby than <laughs> touch him with those gloves. But oh my gosh, that's like just the new normal. Yeah, my personal favorite is when they have the dad put gloves on. <laughs> have you seen that? No. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Why? His own child? I mean, I I don't have the answer to that question, but I've seen it for sure. Um, oh my gosh that makes me think of my favorite glove scenario is when someone has gloves on and you see photos and they're reaching in a birth pool with gloves on and you just really yeah. don't understand anything yeah. um maybe like the wise woman model stuff we could try to like unpack this one a little bit because I feel like you know it's easy to be like eh, like I really don't want to use gloves if I don't have to and I don't want to like be putting my hands inside a woman or you know all up in her business in any way if I don't need to so like maybe um like working back from that breaking and entering and like sort of like what questions would you ask a mom to help her tune in or maybe if there's like certain things that like relate to it before you even get to the birth that would maybe make it less necessary to put gloves on and do stuff, you know? Hmm. Tell me more about what you mean. Um, uh, I guess I'm just thinking like, I mean, it's just not something that we even use a whole lot because we're like in births we've been to, we don't touch moms a whole lot. Like it's rare to do a cervical exam or really do much at all unless they're like, you know, legitimately asking for it. So um, I'm just thinking about how different that is in some births where it's more common to don the gloves and check the things. Um like what what's different about a woman going into a birthing process like with that confidence versus Mm. like just you know relying on the outside information that's coming from someone like putting on a glove and checking how dilated she is or um you know all of that stuff that goes along with gloves normally Mm. I wonder if just like you're, I think you're saying like the appearance of a glove or the wearing of gloves changes the dynamic, right? Like changes the energy even between the woman and the midwife, like they're medical. So not to say again, they're not useful at times, but like, this is like a medical product and we're like shielding ourselves from another person and touch is like our primary sense I think not maybe you know maybe there's a couple I think we have other senses as women that attend births but I know that touch is a huge one and it's just part of being a human so I think there is something kind of intimidating about gloves and I don't know as a birthing woman because that's not been my experience but to see your your midwife or your birth attendant you know put on gloves um, like kind of what does that mean how does that feel does it, you know, do you feel as like autonomous maybe, or um, maybe it feels really helpful, right? Because there are times when let's say a vaginal exam is needed. And, you know, I think the women that I have seen in that situation are, are usually really grateful and, you know, 
it's it's not being done to them so in that case like a glove is just a glove and that's the way we do it uh but it made me think too of just like you know some complications in some births I've attended where I haven't used gloves you know and that might horrify people but I know these families really well you know I think knowing someone's status like even with STIs or or you know sexually transmitted infections is important um if somebody has herpes for example which a lot of women do I will be sure to wear gloves you know all of the time around bodily fluids that's just something that I feel good about um even for myself so if that's not the case and there really isn't anything to concern ourselves with having clean hands is important. Like we wash our hands at births. We might do that multiple, multiple, multiple times, but I never expect to necessarily need my hands. So I used to put on gloves, like when I knew the baby was coming. And then I just started to reflect on that and feel like, is that the energy I want to put into the room right now? Like, Oh, the midwife's putting on gloves, like something must be happening. And like, I don't know, it has a weird vibe, but again, I don't expect everyone to understand that. So long story short, you know, the couple of times there's been like a shoulder dystocia or, you know, helping a breech baby out. Um, I haven't had gloves on for that. And, you know, I've never had anybody be upset about that. But also I'm so grateful that I was sort of able to do it that way in the moment, because again, your hands can feel so much better. So is it possible with gloves? Yes but it feels completely different. It feels completely different to touch a baby, especially one that is needing help out with gloves on. So I think we should be able to do both. Uh, And ultimately it's just like a personal choice we need to make. And, you know, our clients have to also be comfortable with. Yeah. So maybe some of the relationship stuff comes in there and sort of like our beliefs about birth, like, is it sort of dirty or whatever? Um, The things that we've been taught in normal uh, Western world are. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about like the women we've served, how most of them have the privilege of watching birth videos, like your birth video, you know, like Mm -hmm. watching Kendra's birth video. And so it's not just the gloves, but I think they are attuned to the way birth can look again without all of that stuff. So it might not even be super conscious, like, oh, that, you know, she didn't wear gloves, but they're seeing that they're resonating with it. And I think that becomes part of like their reality. Like no one's there to save me. You know, these women are there to support me. Um, Like on Kendra's video where I helped him unwrap the cord, you know, uh, people can watch that now and be like, oh, like, you know, that's not a big deal. There weren't like these scary gloved hands involved. Like that's just a normal part of birth. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we need a whole podcast on gloves someday, huh? I know. I feel like there's so much there. (laughs) Um, and yeah, like not to like glor, um, you know, really like glorify the past, but like, what did we do before gloves, you know? and supporting women what did we do before you know medical products like that like um yeah I mean maybe there were more uh there was more stuff going on but I really don't think so I think we were more closely connected with the people we served and it was you know like family in a sense I agree I agree 
Okay, what's next here? We touched on some of the herbs, but there's more. Okay, yeah, let's talk about herbs. You have some postpartum tinctures. Yes. Um, and I honestly, there's not been a lot of situations where we've needed to use the herbs, but I do think they are nice to have. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really wanted to talk about maybe some of the particulars on some of them, especially ones that I'm less familiar with and really like coming into a right relationship with carrying herbs and when to use them um, because that's not often or always what we see um, being done. And even in the midwifery world, like there's so much around herbs themselves. I agree. And it makes me think of just like other circles that you and I are in, right? Like we've been talking about like witchy stuff and um, herbalism, right? Is like a huge thread for lots of women, especially if we're connected to the earth or, you know, kind of our channeling, maybe our ancestry in that way. So I feel like I really respect the plants, but I don't think that that's my first go-to, honestly. I think I have respect for them, but I definitely am not an herbalist. I don't feel like I truly understand all of the energetics and ways in the ways plants work. And I think in carrying tinctures for hemorrhage or excess bleeding, um, that's definitely something I saw. Like that's definitely something that my mother midwives did. So I've continued that, but I've really narrowed down what I do carry. And it's only based on kind of like my own energetic attraction to what I know and how I've seen them work. But again, I would never, very rarely, I should not say never, I would, I would not ideally put them first. Um, I think in the case of hemorrhage, there is a lot of usefulness just in the power of speech even. And of course, like the placenta and the cord. And I think herbs have gotten this reputation in midwifery as like, you know, kind of like these magic things like, oh, we don't use pharmaceuticals. Those are bad, but like herbs are good and they're not good or bad, but they're still medicine. And so again, I think just using them kind of like recklessly or um, all of the time, there's a lot of like routine use of herbs out there, I think by a lot of people, maybe, right? Like, oh, I don't want her to hemorrhage. So I'm always going to give people these herbs. Uh, and I've said before, like, really, is that really what prevents someone from bleeding? Because like most women aren't going to bleed. So I think there's a lot of disconnect kind of like culturally and collectively to these plants uh, with the exception of midwives. And I know some that really are excellent herbalists and, you know, are very specific, I'm sure in a different way. Yeah. It's, it's interesting coming in like as a student and learning about herbs because we're as a student, I'm sort of relying on the history of like everyone who's used it before and what they tell me about it and exactly. what happens because of it, you know, right. like and it's the been myths an evolving, and the stories. Yeah. It's been an evolving knowledge of like seeing what actually happens when someone takes an herb. Um, and you know, there are downsides and I've seen that play out already. Like, you know, distress of the baby or wonky contractions which aren't a problem if you're 
you know, using them for postpartum hemorrhage. The baby's already here. You're sort of like, you know, doing what you can to support her uterus to contract. Um, hey, that wasn't on my watch. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> You've yeah. seen that other no, places. That was induction with herbs. Yes. No, that, that would not be on my no. watch. No, we have not used herbs for induction. But yes, I've heard about it and seen it in other situations where it was not great. And it did cause the baby to be distressed or the contractions to be wonky. And it just made me really question, like, why are we doing this in the first place? Like, this is really meant to be in the rare case where someone really, really, really does need it after they've already had their baby here, you know? Yeah. And in just my short time of what I've seen, I'm like, sure, yes, I would love to put it in my birth bag, but I would really prefer to reserve it for very specific circumstances. And maybe even in situations where I've sort of seen how it works. Like, um, I think there was one client, I think this is one of the only times we've really used the herbs for postpartum. Um, it was Angelica to release the placenta. And it wasn't like, you know, nothing was happening. There wasn't a rush. Um, but it just seemed like, Hey, like, would you like this, the support of this plant? And the mom said yes. And it seemed to be very helpful. Um, so I think that, you know, was a positive, uh, experience for me to witness just seeing, um, the reverence for it. And, you know, the one odd case where we did get to use it so to speak, you know, that was right. kind of fun, but not something for every day or every birth. Yeah. One thing that I was shown from one of the midwives I worked with that I'm super grateful for, uh, she did have, you know, more of a spiritual connection. Ironically, she was sort of a more medicalized midwife, but anyway, she encouraged me to pray over the plants to, you know, ask the herbs for help when I was using them or getting them ready. And I continue to do that. You know, every, every birth I'm at where I take them out of the bag, they get a little, they get a little love and a little prayer to, you know, use their own energy if needed, because like, I don't direct that I might choose them, but you know, they're the ones that are being chosen. And also in situations I can remember, so let's say someone has like a really long labor or, you know, there's some reason to think that they might have excess bleeding. So in that case, I would get the herbs ready ahead of time. I would put them in some tea with honey and salt. And again, would really just pray to the herbs and allow them to determine how much is needed. So I don't have like a predetermined formula, uh, but taking each tincture bottle and just kind of like intuitively putting in what's needed. And it might be, you know, more motherwort. It might be more Angelica. I only have four. I only have four that I really use um, because those are the ones I feel like I know. But anyway, allowing the herbs to kind of like direct themselves in those situations has also felt really valuable and sort of takes the pressure off to be like, okay, these are magic. These are medicine. These are magic. And if we call upon them, I also trust that they will do what's needed. And, you know, I do think there's something to be said always for what we believe. Like, do we believe something works? Do we believe it has properties that are helpful? You know, because if we don't, and we're just like a mindlessly putting herbs into someone's mouth, like, what do we really expect them to do? You know, they're not being respected. Yeah. 
another whole episode we could do just on herbs. <laughs> I know. Look at all the topic ideas we're getting. Um, yeah. Just to be clear, so like you have on your list Angelica, cotton root bark, mm-hmm. black and blue cohosh, and yarrow. Yes. And 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 these I'm not too sure about. Like these okay. are ones I've heard about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I'm still not too sure how where I stand right. with them. But I definitely feel the Angelica because I have gotten to see how that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, maybe just the Yarrow and um, the relaxing ones like Skullcap and Motherwort for me. Like I think I would be comfortable with just those. Okay. And maybe that's your four. Right. No, my four, okay, so my four for bleeding would be Angelica, cotton root barks, so you have those, and then mm-hmm. I would have motherwort and witch hazel. Those are the four I like, and I would, again, probably use them all together in whatever amounts felt right, and then, you know, you could use them singly. Like, I think motherwort is a really great mother. Like, she's really great for grounding, and so you know, if you kind of intuitively feel like someone's bleeding because they're just like exhausted and not grounded, uh, you could start with that, right? So there's different reasons for considering them like cotton root bark is going to make contractions. So if someone's uterus is tired, and you feel like that's what's going on, right? So you're kind of like, maybe picking and choosing. Um, I don't like black and blue cohosh, but I don't have a ton of experience. I just don't like, I don't know. I just, I hate to say I don't like them. I'm sure they're beautiful plants. I just don't feel like I understand them well enough. Um, And, you know, they're typically used before labor. And I especially don't like that. I wouldn't want to be messing with someone's like blood pressure and all of that with those herbs. And then funny, the yarrow, I would not have, but uh, in Kentucky, I guess I left it there. I actually made a yarrow tincture from yarrow in our yard. And so I was bringing that to births because it felt like, you know, it felt like home, like I had made it from my, my own property with my own hands. And so I felt like I was getting to know her a little bit. Um, So here, you know, I don't know the Hawaiian plant remedies for bleeding. But I think if we are using what is around us, that's also, you know, feels good and helpful. All right, what's next here? See, I am horrible at pronouncing this one. The Union Bio, is that how you say it? The Chinese herbs. This is another popular one that I was curious what you thought about. Union Bio. I do think that's how you say it, but I am not Chinese either. So perhaps someone would correct us. But in any case, um, yeah, that's a traditional remedy, as I understand it, for bleeding And I, again, was shown that in my apprenticeship, although I don't really remember using it. And I don't think, I don't think I'd put that in my bag. Like if I was just ordering everything I might, like, why not? Right. Who cares? Um, But I don't have any personal experience or tie to that. And like I said, I have this feeling sometimes like we can get carried away with like the cute little pills and remedies when something like hemorrhage is really just in our hands sometimes like sometimes we just have to hold a uterus and um you know like there are more like earthy solutions and if we get too frou-frou about it the woman is just bleeding right in front of us which um I think is easy to have happen in a way so 
I respect you putting that in your bag. I just, I probably won't order it. Yeah. Um, yeah, what you said about the hands-on stuff, um, that I think is something that's really well outlined in the school. Like Gail Hart teaches the class on that and like really just the wisdom of our woman hands to be able to support a mom, like if that's truly needed, that our hands are very powerful in that way and like could really be what's needed in certain situations. Exactly. And I know I felt this as a newer student. I don't know how you feel, but I think we have this hesitation with using our hands because we think that's bad or we'll be too interventive or something like that. But like I said, I've seriously seen students, especially, you know, watch a woman bleed in front of them and just be giving them things by mouth when like there's an actual situation that our hands could help with, you know? So I think it can be a distraction in a way to have all of these like tools um, when, yeah, I think the best tool can be our hands. It can be like, if someone has a uterus full of clots, uh, I always say to students, you know, there's no tincture that's going to help with that until you get the clots out. It's just going to keep, she's just going to keep clotting. So you're fooling yourself. If you think, you know, uh, a tincture alone is going to help with that. And that's a great example of like, you don't even have to use your hands necessarily. She can get her own clots out, but like, there's something manual that has to happen there. Yeah, so that really comes back to sort of some of the relationship with the woman and her own body. Yeah, exactly. And maybe helping her be uh, proactive and finding her power in a moment like that to be like, hey, you've got to get them out. You've got to do that. Can't help. I mean, I could, could stick my hand up there, but you could do it. All right, baby stuff. Yes, I think most of that stuff was, you know, mostly just for supporting the mom in the labor process. And then the baby things um, I have are an infant stethoscope. Um, you know, I don't think there's too much to say about that. It, it is nice to just be able to listen to babies if we want to. But um, this is also a thing that doesn't get used as often, maybe as in other situations. <laughs> Um, right. So I don't know if you have more to say on the stethoscope. I've liked the infant stethoscope when I've needed it. And unfortunately, I feel like in the last couple of years, I have used it. I think before then I was less aware in some ways of like how that would be useful. Um, you know, because I have another stethoscope, like I have the adult one with me in my bag. But there is nice, there is something nice about having like the tiny one for a tiny person and not having it be, you know, big and cold on them when you need it. So I definitely will order one of those. And what are you listening for then? Do you want to share that piece of like, what's the why here? Sure. Well, um, most of the time, I feel like it's at the moment of birth or, you know, a couple of moments after if you're really confused. I don't want this to go into like a neonatal resuscitation um, podcast. I think we could do that another time, but I don't think it's necessary 
to listen unless you're really confused. So <laughs> I remember taking a resuscitation course years ago and they kind of teach you to do that. And I remember asking the instructor like, okay, so you're telling me the baby is like pink and screaming, like why on earth would anyone listen? And she just kind of stared at me and she was like, well, you know, that's just what we do kind of thing. And so you do see that on videos sometimes. Um, I don't get that, but that's me. If a baby is pink and screaming, their heart is beating and it's probably beating really fast. So it would only be in the instance where a baby is not making an effort to breathe and isn't transitioning well. And you want to see uh, what's going on. You know, does the baby need rest? Does the baby, God forbid, need chest compressions? Um, and then, you know, using it maybe in the newborn period as well to just listen to the lungs if the baby seems like they're having issues. So, yeah. I would classify that as a useful one. For sure. Yeah, me too. Although you could palpate the cord with your hand. Um, I feel like that's less reliable in a really stressful situation. And God forbid, you know, the, the pulse is 60. You're going to doubt yourself. Probably I have, because it's not something I've done a whole lot. You're like, is that really what I'm feeling? No, that's bad. Um, so hearing it with your ears to me, uh, I feel like I understand it probably better than the palpating, but palpating is a thing. And again, I think that was in Kendra's birth video where I didn't need to listen. I just felt it and I felt the pulse with my hand and that was enough. All right, uh, cord clamps. And I said a few of these. Yes, cord clamps are useful. They're ugly and cheap and bulky, but um, I don't leave them on very long if the parents don't want, so... You also need the little tool that like unclamps them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I would um, add that the cord clamp remover. And for people out there, you know, that don't use those like midwives that use the cord banders or whatever, like, great, totally fine. I just, I don't know. I just don't like those personally, but that's a great option. And then you don't have to worry about removing the clamp. I often will just have like embroidery thread or sometimes I have little embroidered cord ties that someone made. So if someone wants that, that's way easier as well. Um, they can just tie it and then cut, you know, cut the cord and let it, you don't have to remove anything. But I like having cord clamps just in the case of an emergency, right? Like if for whatever bizarre reason you did need to clamp the cord um, like on both sides or something, you would want to clamp for that. So that's why I have them in there mostly. And cord scissors. Uh, I usually just leave those with the parents to cut when they're ready. So I usually have a couple of pairs because I usually forget them at people's houses and they're really cheap anyways. So yes, cord stuff. All the cord stuff. And I like the ribbon thing. I think that's something that I hadn't really seen before uh, going to birth with you. And at my birth, we did the cord burning, um, but mm. I still wanted it like a little shorter. So I kind of did a combination. But to me, the the ribbon's fun the way you do it. You know, you can pick out your own color. and um, I do like that. Yeah. Fact, it I'm makes it, it seem like screen. less of an emergency situation when you can spend time picking out which ribbon color you want. And um, yeah just make a little ceremony of it in a way yeah and if someone has like older children they usually love picking the color 
but I'm making a sub list here of like target supplies. So that would go on there. So I'm not going to get that from a birth supply place, but just like some kind of crafty thread, you know, embroidery thread or like, um, it can be kind of like twine ish. I also have a watch on there cause I have not been using, like I've just been using my phone at prenatals and I also need aloe on there for the rare instance of the Doppler. So that's my target list, but let's proceed. Oh, bulb syringe. Um, I want to hear you talk yeah. about that. This is one I'm like still debating on um, because I do think the bulb syringe could be helpful, but it's also something that can be really disruptive and kind of harsh to the baby. Um, and I'm just trying to think of situations where I would want it. Like um, there's like, you know, an in-between between like, you know, perhaps the baby's clearing stuff and they don't really need it and you could be using it unnecessarily or they like really have stuff up in there and need like actual medical assistance that we do not have. So I'm like, you know, does it fall somewhere in the middle where I feel like it would be important? I think it's, you know, it doesn't hurt to have it, but I don't think it's something I would use very often. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree. I think I will order one. And if it's like all of the other ones, it'll probably, you know, sit around sterile and unused. When I was a student, we had a fresh one open for every birth, if that tells you anything. Like it was like, you know, popped open a little bit and ready because, you know, I think it was even the time like 10, 15, 20 years ago, people were just using bulb syringes more, I think like that was their go-to. So I think because we've moved to a place where we're teaching women to like access that wisdom and if their baby is needing suctioning that they're able to do it, I think that's a huge reason for not really caring if I had one. But I agree with you. I think there have been times even in the last year where it just would feel better even to the mom to feel like they're really like getting stuff out if the baby is like super struggling. Um, It is like a really weirdly satisfying thing, like, you know, to syringe a baby's nose and to like hear all this stuff come out that maybe she wasn't going to get with her mouth. However, you know, we have postural drainage and um, probably less invasive techniques to have a baby drain as well. So I'm with you. It's like, I could live without it, but it's cheap and easy. I'll probably throw one in and not use it. Um, Also, for people that don't know, Like you do have to be really careful and not provoke a vagal response in a baby. So those aggressive videos that we've all seen, right? Like more hospital type um, where they're really going for it, especially in the baby's mouth um, can cause some serious damage and can also prevent that baby from wanting to even latch on, right? Because they get like issues. They get like emotional, physical issues around something being stuck into their mouth without their consent at the moment of birth. So definitely not a routine thing. I think there are way better solutions like we've talked about, but at the end of the day, I'm probably going to order a $2 syringe and keep it in there. Yeah. Um, Just short side story, like with my first um, in the hospital, um, they, it was just a normal thing. Like they taught you how to use the bulb syringe and they taught you to like suck the baby's nose out just like, just for fun, just, you know, the entire early newborn phase. And um 
even then I was kind of questioning like do I need to just be sticking that like it seemed kind of harsh to my baby then and so yeah it doesn't hurt to have it but it's not something that's my favorite thing to use I would much rather do the postural drainage or have mom help baby work it out yeah yeah I definitely think like you said it was something that was more standard I mean I've even watched like unassisted births on YouTube where people stick a bulb syringe in their baby's mouth because they have no idea what they're doing. And, you know, that was kind of the teaching for a long time. And that was even the teaching in neonatal resuscitation for a long time. Um, and I guess it still is actually in a lot of cases, uh, you know, that getting the fluids out is beneficial and we're not arguing with that. We're just saying there are other ways to probably do it. Yeah. So the delete is kind of falls into that category like trying to decide is that something that I would want to have in my bag or not it's a question mark one yeah Um. Hmm. I know and like here's a whole other conversation that I don't know you know how much we want to go into but like we hinted at there's kind of that like I don't really want to have that like I don't really think I'll need that but like what if I do and it's just like Mm -hmm. a stupid you know, stupid, cheap thing I could have had that would have made a difference. Like that's a real thought as someone that attends births. Um, Thankfully, I don't feel like I've ever been in a situation where I've felt that way. Uh, I don't carry oxygen though on purpose. And that's a whole other discussion, you know, around maybe other midwives saying like, oh, well, you know, that baby could have been helped by oxygen. It's like, well, Maybe, but that's a choice I've made because it's like so rare and there are risks to carrying oxygen. Um, But anyway, I don't feel like I've been in a situation where I'm like, damn, like that would have, you know, saved someone's life. Um, I have used the Dali, but only a couple of times. And I can't say that it really even felt helpful. But unfortunately, in situations where a baby is like really not transitioning well, you also want to feel like you did everything you could, you know? So it's like, it's a funny place to be in a way. Um, But I mean, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to carry one. I'm actually not sure. Like, will I order one? I'll have to, I'll have to let you know if I do. I'm not, I'm not sold on it at the moment. I know. And it's like, there's a whole history lesson that can go along with the delete itself and like oxygen even um like one of the um lessons in the school right now where I'm at on neonatal resuscitation it's Gail Hart also talking about how they started with like 100% oxygen that they were giving to babies and it turned out that that was like really harmful and had long-term side effects and um so yeah it's like some things like the delete they're pretty harmless and then like other things I mean, even the delete, like, I don't even know if I know what I'm doing with it because I've never had to use one yet. Um, well, I don't know yeah. that I feel like I know what I'm doing with it <laughs> after only a couple of times, you know, it's a really, like, how do you get practice on that except in the moment? Like there's, yeah, you know, maybe on one of those fancy like resuscitation dolls or something, but that's not even real. So yeah, I don't know. Some of this stuff, like, again, I think it's our own boundaries and and whatever, because if we're being real about it, like these are medical tools. These are um, 
you know, they've been introduced by the medical model that doesn't make them bad, but we have to decide in our own work as a midwife, how far we're willing to go into that, you know, and like suturing is another thing. Like there's a lot of topics that it's like, do you want to go into that? Like, is that the kind of midwife you want to be? And, you know, I think we all just have to choose that for ourselves, but everything that we take on that really is a medical tool. Again, it's not bad, but it's just like, I don't know. It just changes. It just changes what we offer, but there's so many. Yeah. And also like choosing whether or not to carry the story of like, am I going to be the one person who's carrying the one thing that happens to save the day, you know, like, um, I wouldn't want the delay to be the one thing that like saves the day. Um, like it, right. it could be helpful, but I wouldn't want that to be like the savior of someone's experience. Right. And like, again, there's not just even that, like you'd feel lucky in a way if you were like, oh, that really saved that baby. I think there's an element of like, again, these are worst case scenarios, right? Like that element of like, we did everything we could, um, you know, because the truth is if a baby needs really deep suctioning, they need a hospital for that. Like we don't offer that. We don't have the skills. We don't have the equipment. And, you know, if that's the case, you had better be calling 911. So they're complicated uh, decisions in some way. Yeah. Um, so the Ambu bag also falls into sort of a similar category of baby stuff where we're, you know, potentially providing some support with the things that we have to help baby transition, you know, if needed. Sure. And that's, again, a medical tool, like that's the honest truth. But in the rare instance of, I'd say a baby needing chest compressions, because I wouldn't even say we 100% need it for inflation breaths alone. So, you know, again, this isn't an NRP podcast, but most babies are not going to need chest compressions, right? Like some might need stimulation and some might need breaths. And the breast can be given by the mom's mouth or our mouths if we get permission for that. Um, so up until this last year, I had never done chest compressions and I had never really used an Ambu bag because I had never used it for inflation breaths. It didn't make sense to me. You have to get it all just perfect when you're wasting all that time and could be getting the breaths to the baby, you know, again, with a human mouth. So that's been my preference. Um, I would still choose that in that situation, but I am so glad I had an Ambu bag for the baby that did require compressions. There would be no way to do it. There would be no way. I mean, there would be, but you probably would be really not effective. Exhausted. Um, and, yeah. And not exhausted. Effective. Yeah. Yeah. So I will definitely order an Ambu bag. I never, I never assume I'll need it. I never show the parents that really, unless they ask. Um, it's not something I would have out at a birth in plain sight. I don't think it's very comforting or nice mm-hmm. or fun, but you know, I think it, it, it has its place when needed. Um, and if you kind of have a resuscitation tray set up, then, you know, I usually hide it under some baby blankets and I usually buy the disposable model. And again, I've never, I've only needed it once. And then I threw that one out. So, you know, if I needed it, I'd throw it out, but I prefer that over like the more expensive one. I think that's all I've got on that one for now. The heating pad. So this goes along with, you know, helping take care of the baby if there's an issue. 
And that would just be to like keep the baby warm if there was a resuscitation that was longer or something. But a lot of these things are like, uh, I mean, heat and breath, like the mom has those. So it, it would be a very, very rare situation. Yeah, exactly. And saran wrap, same thing, right? That's to keep warmth in for a baby that's like, you know, you're calling 9114 and is not doing well. I assume that's why you have that on there. Yep. Um, I'm going to go through some of these so we can start to wrap up soon. Uh, Flashlight and mirror, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, you know, I guess there's also the option of though people were serving having some of these things like you know if we really want them totally I might keep my bag really minimal this time and I don't know I might have a flashlight but usually people do too so you could rely on them for that Um, and then you have some like other newborn stuff so glucometer I don't think I've ever used a glucometer on a newborn personally but you know it's not totally ridiculous yeah I was trying to think of a situation where I would use that to even justify bringing it with me but you know if and I put in parentheses um for checking baby's glucose if it was suspected low but also just feeding the mom and labor and after so you know the baby's blood sugars should be good if the mom's been eating well and is well nourished you know throughout labor and after. Yes, I would not even consider checking a baby's glucose unless the mom was a diabetic. I wouldn't even bother. Um, you know, if the baby is showing signs of low blood sugar, for whatever bizarre reason, I don't think I've ever seen that. But you know, that's why colostrum exists. That's why the mom exists. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't personally buy into that. But a glucometer for pregnancy and someone checking their blood sugars makes sense to me. So it might be in the bag anyways. Um, hemostats. I usually do have two hemostats and those are like clamps. That's the best way I can describe them. Like long scissor clamps and knock on wood. I've never needed those, but you know, if you did for some reason need to like clamp and cut the cord really quickly, that's why you would want two of those. Uh, but otherwise, that's kind of all on the usage of those. Um, anything else you want to go through? You have a few more things, but I think they're pretty explanatory. Yeah. Um, so I had an Elden card. That's for testing the baby's blood type. That's something you have the parents get sometimes. Right, if they're like of RH Amazon. negative, yeah, they can just order it. Um, but it doesn't hurt to have one, you know, in case the parents don't know their blood type, which I would hope they do. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, for whatever reason, they don't have one. It would be nice to have. Um, And a newborn scale. That's the fun one that, you know, feels like a rite of passage for a student midwife to one day get a newborn scale and a cute little over sling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know what? I don't have my scale here. So what am I going to do? Maybe I will have to have someone send that to me because I'm not buying a new scale. Those are expensive. And I have that really cute, like crocheted. Oh, geez. I got to remember where I put those things though. Okay. They're going on my list. (laughs) Thanks for the reminder because the scale, I have like a 
um, brass fish scale. And that was given to me by the woman I apprenticed with first. So it's like literally 19 years old and oh. I'm not buying a new one. So I'm going to have someone send those. Okay. Yeah. Good reminder. Things, things like that can be so special. And like, that feels good. Like talking about the other stuff is like, ugh. and then you come back to just like simple things, like, you know, just seeing how much the baby weighs and you're like, oh, that's so adorable. <laughs> It is so adorable. Um, and then postpartum herb bath. Usually we gift that to moms like in the prenatal time. So they have it hanging around their house. Um, stuff to make a postpartum rice porridge. We ask that they have around. Um, Shilaji is like my birth bag, oh. like secret medicine that I love. That I don't know if anyone else has thought about that, but I think it's brilliant because That's it is a, a quick idea. way to get minerals into a mama if she's like tired or you know just needs some minerals and energy um and honey they usually have laying around I feel like those all feel really good and supportive yeah I love that idea and I love that I learned about that from you the shilajit for those that don't know is like a what is it like minerals off the Himalayan mountains or something it's yeah like it's like somewhere between food and a rock but it has like 90 some minerals in it or something. Mm. I should order some of that for myself. I kind of forgot about that. I'm going to put that on my list too. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff's awesome. I would love for my birth bag to just be like a basket full of ghee and shilaji and bone broth. I mean, of course it's, you know, good to have some of the other stuff, but like it could be really cute too. Yeah, I think that's a great way to maybe like pull it together or end, you know, just like you said in the beginning, like what's the energy we want to bring? Like, it sounds like your, your energy would be nourishing, right? Like you showing up and your stuff feels, feels good and alive and like uh, supportive, right? So I think considering that is really important. Like what is the energy we want to show up with. What do we want people to feel? Um, side note, I've always sort of hated having a bigger bag. Like, it, you know, I've had little suitcases in the past and of course they're always like cute ish, but they're still suitcases. And I always hate that awkward feeling of like pulling a suitcase into someone's house. Cause it's just like, I don't know. It feels like it's a whole lot of baggage. It feels like <laughs> a lot of, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> But again, I think it depends who you're working with, right? Like, I think there are women and families that would be like, oh, good. Like, the midwife has a lot of stuff. Like, that's great because, you know, whatever, whatever reasons they have for thinking that's great. But I definitely think there are people that, um, yeah, resonate more on the other side of just like, oh, it's just a bag. It's just stuff. And, you know, talking through it has been really fun, but it hasn't changed my mind about most of it, which is like what I said in the beginning, like if you didn't have any of it, you know, it, it would probably still be fine. Um, you might be struggling for a minute or you might have to like be creative, but I don't think the bag like makes the midwife. I think, you know, you're only as good as your, as your hands probably are is what I think. Yeah. And that wisdom and experience that you bring to the experience and the energy you carry, I feel like is so much more meaningful than the stuff in a way. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Well, 
that feels like a natural ending. I really appreciate you making this list. I will get to ordering it this week. I don't think there's anything. Yeah. I would Did really I miss anything. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, I'll look through the site and I'll let you know, but I don't think so. Not at first glance. I don't think there's anything that you missed. It looks really complete. And yeah, I'm excited to think more about, like I said, the, the bag itself and, you know, um, new time in life, just kind of like having the chance to rethink that all is really fun. Yeah. Some bags can be like really high tech and fancy, like with the, all of the gizmos and gadgets (laughs) and yeah, it's nice to just like take a step back and really rethink all of it and consider you know what's really important and and the why I agree so I'll let Sam leave everybody with that last series of questions they're really really important and I think as a student especially when you're new and this isn't you Sam but just saying for the people that are out there you know it can feel just like of course really fun and exciting to think of ordering stuff or having your own bag um but yeah again just being in t- intentional and having it guide you like having your own beliefs guide you as you're maybe choosing stuff or even imagining what you would carry and reflecting on if that really is how you want to go forward in the world uh, I think we've given you lots to think about here. That's what I think. So thanks so for fun. making that list. That was so fun. Yeah. And we'll have to, we'll have to come back sometime soon and maybe go deeper into some of the topics because I think that would also be fun. But for today, it feels like a great podcast. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Sam, for coming on again. And we'd love to hear your feedback. So email it to us, uh, sam at indiebirth.org or marin at indiebirth.org. Let us know what you think. And I'll see you again here soon. Bye.